get a balanced analysis on both domestic and international topics within the framework of cross-cultural comparisons. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. China's annual Central Economic Work Conference was held in Beijing this week, which listed China's economic goals for 2024. What are the key signals for next year? How is China going to manage its economy? And what challenges remain ahead? To have a better understanding of the Chinese economy, I'm glad to be joined by Edward Xie, founder and CEO of Gaofeng Advisory Company, Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novam Archie Technology, Ben Cavender, Managing Director of China Market Research Group, and Becky Liu, Head of China Macro Strategy at Standard Chartered Bank. Uh, welcome to Dialogue. Uh, Jiahe, I will start with you. Let's, uh, you know, before we touch upon the Central Economic Work Conference, uh, you know, we have the latest figures about the economy of the past three quarters. You do see the economy uh, grew at a 5.2% pace uh, in the three quarters, and uh, there are signs of improvement uh, in November, for example, you know, with the factory output and retail sales rising. At the same time, you do see Investments in property uh, went down like 9.4%. So how do you describe the state of the Chinese economy now? Well, if we look at the overall picture, we got 5.2% uh, GDP growth rate for the first three quarters you just mentioned. That's a very high number. If we remember that for the first quarter of this year, the economic recovery was not very good because that came right after the pandemic. So basically speaking, the economic growth was concentrating in the second and the third quarter. And these two quarters, we have got something like 5.2% growth. So that's quite amazing. And remember that we got two very large pressures on the economy at the same time, which is why it's from the international trade. That's not uh, due to the problem of China, but basically the global trading environment has been pretty bad this year. Well, partly because the Fed has been raising the interest rate and partly because of the geopolitical tension in Europe, all these kind of things. And China is also affected. And the other is that, as you mentioned, real estate has got a slight cooling down at this moment. I've been reading some of the financial statements of the leading uh, real estate developers in Asia this morning. And most of them has got something like a 10 to 30 percent decline with their income for this year, which is not very large if you remember how bad the situation has been in the United States back in 2008 when the global financial crisis broke out, you know. So this is like a slight cooling down of the property market, but that also gave a very large pressure to the economy. So with these two pressures, we still got a 5.2% growth rate for the first three quarters. That's quite amazing, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Edward, um, of course, against such a background, you do have see, you know, some of the sectors are continuing to enjoy the growth. At the same time, you do see other sectors suffering from, say, downward pressures uh, like the property market. Uh, you know, against such a background, we have this Central Economic Worker Conference. So what are the key signals you have, you know, from this uh, conference? Yeah, if you read the, um, the outcome of the conference, uh, I think the message is that um, China will continue to seek growth, but in the context of maintaining certain degree of stability. So it's not pursuing wild growth, but a controlled growth. Uh, another very important concept is that the Chinese uh, government have come up with a concept that, you know, we need to first establish before we disassemble. In other words, 
you know, make sure that, you know, we establish something new, that something new would work before we disassemble the old. And I think this is a very important concept because we know that in the past, the Chinese government have had taken certain actions that has sort of disrupted the old sector or old economy before the new sector or new economy was established. And this time, I think the message is that let's make sure that we can create a growth, but in a very stabilized manner. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Ben, uh, you know, from according to Edward, it's, it's more like a stability, you know, stable growth, maybe stable growth uh, through, uh, you know, achieved by progress or work style, let's say, uh, you know, whether you, um, you achieve a certain uh, specific goal in certain sectors. What's your takeaway of this important meeting? You know, I think listening to the, the meeting minutes, it's clear that the government understands there are a lot of structural issues in the economy that have to be dealt with right now and that realistically you can't fix every single thing overnight. And so I think they're taking a very prudent approach here, which is they have to give measured support to the economy. They don't want to do too much and, and have what they do be realistically kind of ineffective if they're over investing in the wrong things to speed up growth. So instead, they're taking a longer term approach. And to me, that signals they'll, they'll probably be willing to foregrow, forego really fast growth in the, in the short term in the next one or two years. But from that, they can gain a much more stable platform for growth over the long term. So more tolerance for a slower growth, but uh, I mean, without uh, any stimulus plan? I mean, I, th I think there will be stimulus. I, I think it's, it's clear that stimulus is needed across a variety of different industries in China right now, and, and also to get consumers feeling more comfortable about spending across certain categories. But I don't think that stimulus is going to look anything like maybe what we saw in, in 2008 or certainly during COVID. It's going to be much more measured and much more targeted and smaller scale. Mm -hmm. more, uh, much smaller scale, of course, compared to 2008, 4 trillion uh, RMB there. Uh, Edward, talk more about you know what you mentioned about this new uh, like uh, life uh, work style or, you know, you do something establishing uh, first before you breaking, <laughs> before breaking a certain, uh, certain sector or certain uh, business line there. Uh, tell us more about that. You know, what we're seeing or what the Chinese government is probably trying to do is to undergo some real structural transformation for its economy. And that structural transformation, in my view, would shift from more traditional, less call it bricks and mortar economy into, let's say, digital economy, right? That, that's a big transition. And I believe that the Chinese government have decided that is the right way to go. But it will take some time and a lot of effort to make it really happen. So before we go through this transformation into a real and full digital economy, we don't just dispose the bricks and mortar right away or in a 100% manner. I think this is what the Chinese government is talking about. You know, it may not be just about transformation from bricks and mortar to di digital, but maybe in other veins as well. But that's the idea. Be prudent, be stable, but at the same time, look for transformational growth. Mm -hmm. uh, Jia he, if you look at this, uh, you know, obviously the, the key word would be like a stability. Uh, but then you see there is a true active sense here. For example, uh, the uh, statements called for promoting stability through making developments, stability through progress. Um, you know, stability does not mean being static. It means making progress. Uh, what's your understanding of that? What does that refer to? 
when we talk about stability, it doesn't mean stagnation, as you just said. It's it's not something like okay, we keep on everything like this forever. It's not that. It's、uh, for for the Chinese economic growth. It is quite interesting that when we say stable growth, it means something between a、uh, five to six percent growth rate. You know, so so that's quite amazing because if you look at many,、uh, you know, especially the mature economies in the world, which have a higher、uh, amount of per capita GDP but lower growth rate. For them, it's like a five to six percent growth rate would be somewhere quite amazing. You know, you have something like five or six percent growth rates. That's amazing. But for Chinese people, it's like、um, we are still in the process of developing economy. So our economic growth is. The growth rate is actually much faster. So when you look at the central government paper, they say, okay, we want a stable growth. It means that they want to the growth rate to be somewhere around five to six percent. But that's quite a large amount of growth rate, you know. And that also says that、um, another meaning that this kind of paper express is that we don't want the growth rate to pick up to seven to eight percent, where we have a over uh, overwhelming uh, property sector stuff like that. So something that will not be sustainable in the long term. So We want a stable growth at five to six percent, and we want this growth rate to last for quite a long period of time. So that's what these kind of messages are sending. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ben, if you look at the economy right now, as we、uh, talked about at the very beginning, you know, it's kind of mixed. You know, some sectors are strong, some sectors are not、uh, a bit weak. So, what are the drivers? What are the、uh, like、uh, you know sectors probably that are dragging the growth of the economy here? You know, I think if you look at where the the major drag is coming from, I think right now primary drag would really be the real estate sector. I mean, you know, there's just been so much negative news and so much negative sentiment over the past year or two, and I, you know, obviously a lot of the larger developers are under quite a bit of financial pressure right now. The problem with real estate being in the state it's in right now, though, is it creates this this trickle down effect where you have consumers then. Worried very much about their assets, their life savings, and that's then causing them to not spend as heavily or be generally much more cautious about the future than they normally would be in China. So I think for me, that's the number one that that really needs to get fixed.、Um, and then I think beyond that, also, we're still looking at a jobs market that, while strong, is still relatively soft, and it's relatively soft, especially for new graduates entering the workforce. And so I think the other. Primary driver right now is a lot of the consumers that really should be driving retail spending growth right now are a little bit uncertain about their future, and so that's I think another area where we'll probably see a lot of attention from the government in terms of opening up public service jobs, trying to put money into industries that involve high tech or other areas where they can employ highly skilled college graduates. Mm. Uh, well, Edward, if you look at the challenges, as、uh, you know, Ben、uh, mentioned, you know, property、uh, market is one of them. You know, job、uh, unemployment, let's say, and of course, people would say,、uh, you know, consumer spending. So, from this Central Economic Work Conference, what kind of a policy direction do you see to, let's say, help those sectors or deal with those sectors? Right. I think on the property sector, we're seeing that the. The, the government is trying to stabilize that sector by implementing a number of measures that will, on one hand, sort of protect、uh, or enhance the、uh, credit conditions of some of the developers that have been in trouble, but also to increase or to improve the demand side from the consumers, from the customers of properties. And、uh, I think we're beginning to see this.、Uh, I think, in general, the Chinese. If we look at it from the from the、uh, record, records of the the Central Work、uh, Economic Conference, is that stimulus of the consumption is a key part of the policy for next year. 
stimulating the consumption from the Chinese consumers. And if that's the case, that we we will probably going to see an uptick on the demand for consumer-facing products for next year. Things such as consumer products, automotive, in particular electrical vehicles, and that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, you know more consumption in certain uh, sector like uh, EVs. Uh, ben, you earlier mentioned the property sector, but what is the goal? What is the exact goal of the government? You know, we talked about uh, you know uh, houses are for people to live in, uh, not for speculation. And now, of course, we do see the relaxing, a gradual relaxing of some of the restrictions in terms of uh, the sales there. But, you know, you can see the government, the government is very cautious over there. So what is uh, the ultimate goal, of, say, for 2024 in the property sector? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two parts to this. I think part one is that a lot of the developers, frankly speaking, probably overbuilt over the last few years. And so there needs to be a little bit of a retrenchment right now. And, and I think that the government wants to work hard to sort of soak up that excess supply. And that's why you're seeing a lot of measures around purchasing maybe being relaxed right now to make it easier for first-time home buyers or even in some cases for, for property investors to purchase multiple properties just so they can kind of get through this backlog that exists. And then I think they also want to look at going forward how they restructure how some of these large developers operate so that they don't have the same kind of debt risks that they've had in the past. And that could be um, working towards large state-owned enterprises in certain provinces, maybe taking an equity share in some of these businesses, just doing other things to sort of build checks and balances so that future development is done in a more healthy way. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Jiahe, can we say, uh, like, it, you know, of course, we know that China is trying to transition from relying on the export and house uh, market to more innovation-driven uh, economic growth here. And we do see, you know, successes already been made, for example, in the export of EVs, solar panels, etc. But at the same time, like the property market, which is an important part of the economy, what is, uh, you know, like, where are we now? Are we going to say from now on, we are going to rely less and less on the property market to spur the economic growth? Uh, that that's a certain thing. I mean, the property sector will keep on being there. You you, you won't you won't say that okay, Chinese people not building building any housing in the next ten years. That's not possible. Okay, the property sector is always being there. Uh, even when we say okay, the property market has been a bit cold this year. If you look at the financial statements of most uh, of the large developers, they've been dropping like ten or twenty percent compared with last year for their income. So I was actually quite surprised this morning while I was reading all, through all these statements because from all the negative news you can see on the uh, media, you think they're dropping like 50 or 60 percent. But when you see the real number on their financial statements, they say, OK, we've got like 10 or 20 percent less income compared with last year. So, so that's not a very large thing. But yeah, I mean, China is going to rely uh, less on the property sector in the future. That's for certain. Uh, actually, the government has realized this about five years or six years ago, where in 2017, the government started to ask the property developers to deleverage themselves asking the financial institutions to le uh, lend less money to them. You know, all these kind of things being conducted about half a decade ago, if you if you remember all these policies. And in the future, definitely, we're going to rely less on the property uh, market and we're going to rely more on like um, 
and intervention, you know, innovation, uh, consumption, all these kind of things. And consumption is very important uh, besides the technology. I mean, consumption is key for the growth for the next one or two decades, because currently, if you look at the percentage of Chinese people's consumption to the whole economy, it's actually less than what's there in the, you know, Europe, Japan, United States. So it's a large room for the consumption to grow in the future. A oh, large uh, consumption to grow over there. Uh, so Edward, you know, this uh, also in a statement, uh, you know, for the first time, it uh, stated that policymakers need to ensure that ultimate results are in line with the intention of the party, uh, of the government here. Um, so what's the, you know, what's behind the thinking? What's the thinking here? It's like uh, it's going to introduce uh, or probably work harder in terms of implementation of some policies here? Yeah, I think if we follow what President Xi Jinping has been talking about, it's very clear that he and the party actually have a pretty clear set of goals for the development of China. And, uh, you know, by 2050, you know, President Xi would like to see China entering into a stage of, a, you know, moderate prosperity, you know, reaching a certain level of uh, income for the general public of, of the Chinese citizens. So to that, you know, to that end, how do we go from here to let's say 2050? It requires growth, but it also requires pretty stable growth. And also what the Chinese Communist Party call high quality growth. And what is high quality growth? And it's not gonna be just throwing money into let's say property. Property is for basic living for people, but not for speculation or generating fast growth, uh, fast uh, growth of wealth for a few people, right? So how do we generate high quality growth? It's got to be through innovations, as you said before, right? You know, through innovation, through consumption and moving up the industrial ladder of manufacturing. And I believe this is what the mission or the vision of the party is. And therefore what we should expect is that Going forward, the growth plan for China will be consistent with that kind of philosophy and it goes. Well, that kind of philosophy and it goes, high quality growth. Uh, ben, uh, and also another important statement here, uh, it says, you know, fiscal policy needs to step up uh, appropriately and improve quality and efficiency. It seems like the stress is on efficiency, you know, fiscal policy here. I mean, if we are stressing efficiency, it somehow indicates like there are probably um, room to improve in terms of this fiscal policy there. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of the challenges that China has being such a big country and in such a big economy is that you, know, you can have a lot of really good directives coming from the national level, trickling down to the provincial level and to the city level. But the way they get executed is not always very consistent. And I think a lot of the time, the way the messaging comes down to the local level can often be a little bit unclear. And so I think when you look at what happens in 2024, I think one of the directives from the government is really, if we're gonna put policies in place, how do we make sure that they're implemented consistently and implemented in such a way that the recipients of those policies believe that they will stay in place for a while. So for example, if we're talking about developing high-tech industry and you have a local city government putting in place policy that says, listen, we'll give you tax breaks if you hire X amount of PhDs that work in biotech. Everybody needs to believe that that policy is going to be 
in place for three or four years, and that if a company comes in and invests the money, that they're going to actually reap the benefits. So I think just having that consistency in place is a lot of what the efficiency drive is talking about. Okay, it's about the work style uh, execution of uh, uh, some of the fiscal policies there. Uh, of course, you know, there are other challenges like, uh, you know, consumer confidence, for example, and also investment uh, atmosphere or the center of investment domestically and also the decline of FDI. I mean, how big a challenge is that in, let's say, investment? Do you need investment for any economy uh, and then to create jobs, to create businesses over there? Well, definitely you need, need investment. I mean, China is uh, currently opening its gates towards the global investment. We keep on saying, okay, we want foreign uh, investment. We welcome international uh, investors, all these kind of things. And we welcome the domestic investors to invest. But there is one thing you have to remember is that currently, if you look at the equity market of the Asia and Hong Kong market, they are in a, a well, pretty large bull market, uh, lasted for like two or three years. So this is a time where you have the least amount of confidence because uh, market has been kept on falling. Every time you see the market falling for like two or three years, you never see confidence in any place. But wherever the bull market starts from the bottom of the bear market is that you got the stock price keep on rising for like six or three months and all the confidence will just come back right away. You know, this, this kind of cycle keeps on coming up in the stock markets time and time and time. If you remember the Asia market, it got a very large bull market back in 2020 and 2021. Back then, when the market was rising all the days, people had a lot of confidence toward the economy and all the investment came in from international market. And then you had the bear market that lasted for like two or three years, then people lose their confidence. But what's the problem over here? I mean, if you have another bull market coming on uh, later on, and the market rises for like three months, all the confidence will just come back. Okay, now we have Becky on the line. Uh, Becky, welcome to Dialogue here. You know, you once uh, in a previous interview, you said that the Chinese economy has bottomed out. So can we say the only direction is to go up? Based on the latest data, actually sequential growth uh, or the pace of sequential recovery has been uh, tapering a little bit. But we still hold on to our view that China growth will likely to far exceed this year's target at about 5.4%. And currently our forecast for next year's GDP is also uh, relatively higher among market consensus at 4.8%. So based on the latest data, we do see some of the challenges, especially it appear that the post-reopening normalization um, push is now coming towards an end, and the economy does require additional stimulus and support uh, to maintain uh, the current pace of uh, better recovery. So looking into 2024, uh, we do observe that from the latest Central Economics Work Conference that the overall policy stance is moving towards more supportive, especially uh, regarding the fiscal policy as well as the better coordination across uh, both economic and non-economic policies. Uh, you mentioned the nine economic policies or the coordination or better coordination of economic and non-economic policies. What are those uh, non-economic policies, Becky? What do they refer to? Mostly we here refer to the industrial policy. So from our perspective, the key issue uh, or, or the key, key hurdle that faces the Chinese economy today is the lack of domestic demand and to some extent the lack of confidence as well. And one major element of that is um, people concern policy stability across a number of key industries. 
Uh, for example, since 2021, we have been seeing some of the clampdown across um, education, tech, um, uh, finance, um, um, uh, um, healthcare, and so on. So, uh, from our perspective, the better coordination of economic and non-economic policies would uh, be gauging the uh, potential macro implication on uh, the upcoming industrial policies. So we do expect an end uh, of these industrial policies and we are looking for more coordinated measures to support growth, uh, support growth from these fiscal monetary policy as well as other industrial policies. Uh, well, Becky, 2024 is the year of election in many parts of the world. Uh, and of course, uh, I think earlier, you know, basically before the show, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, e election often associated with uh, instability, sometimes, you know, practice of protectionism. Challenging external environment for China's growth? In 2024, in general, we expect external demand to be weakening. Uh, one of the primary reasons is uh, U.S. So this year, so far, what we have been seeing in the U.S. Ec uh, economic growth is that it has been staying uh, well above expectation to be well above trend. But getting into 2024, we expect the U.S. economic growth to, um, to come back down to a level that's below trend after all these unprecedented monetary policy tightening. So from this perspective, global demand will likely to decline. And as you rightly mentioned, 2024 will be the biggest year of election on history. So based on uh, the summary, uh, we would have 76 economies globally that will go, uh, go through some sort of nationwide election. And historical experience will be telling us that a lot of policies tend to go more radical. Uh, nationalistic sentiment will likely to drive a rise of protectionism across major economies. So under such an environment, external demand will likely to be more challenging. But what we have also observed is that because of China's um, skew of resources towards the manufacturing sector, towards tech, we are also seeing greater competitiveness of Chinese goods across many of the higher value added categories. Uh, for example, while people are talking about a decline of export growth um, in 2023, what we have observed is that China's export um, decline is completely in line with global export decline. So it's basically just uh, moving in line with global trade trajectory. And with the exception of Mexico, China's export performance has actually exceeded or outperformed all of the so-called plus one countries, including the likes of Vietnam and India. So from this perspective, it means that on one hand, external demand is indeed becoming more challenging. But on the other hand, it has so far been largely offset by the beginning of um, manufactured goods competitiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Becky, you know, look ahead. You know, what are the major tasks of China uh, in terms of its economic expansion here? Uh, from a pure economic policies point of view, we feel that a expansionary of fisc uh, fiscal policy is the lowest, uh, lowest hanging fruit, especially from the central government's perspective. The central government's leverage ratio remains fairly low, and central government um, uh, spending can become more effective compared with local governments due to structural advantages. So from a, a pure um, fiscal policies point of view, we do expect to see a wider budget deficit and a skew towards central government borrowing rather than um, from local government borrowing. Well, with that, we come to the end for today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. Thank you for being with us. I'm Xu Qinduo. See you next time. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.